quid est veritas. Anyone here speak Latin? Quid est veritas. What is truth? What is truth? That question is, of course, taken from John 18, 38, a text that I like to refer to as the verse heard round the world. John 18, 38, the verse heard round the world. I describe that verse in those terms because it's been my experience that whenever the subject of truth is raised, it is that particular inquiry by Pontius Pilate that seems invariably to register in the minds of many people. The problem, however, is that although countless people, including many professing Christians, may be familiar at a surface level with the question posed by Pilate, the vast majority of them have no idea how to objectively respond to that question if they were ever challenged to do so. Now, I make that assertion against the backdrop of what John MacArthur writes in his book, The Truth War, subtitled Fighting for Certainty in an Age of Deception. MacArthur says this, quote, People no longer believe in truth as a sure and knowledgeable reality. Many self-styled evangelicals today are openly questioning whether such a thing as truth even exists. Others suppose that even if truth does exist, we can't be sure what it is, so it can't really matter much. The twin problems of uncertainty and apathy about the truth are epidemic. Even among some of the evangelical movement's most popular authors and spokespersons, some flatly refuse to stand for anything because they have decided that even scripture isn't really clear enough to argue about. The church's duty has always been to confront such skepticism and answer it by clearly proclaiming the truth God has revealed in his word, unquote. One rather glaring example of the uncertainty and apathy of which Pastor MacArthur is speaking is a Washington Times article dated October 20, 2021, that cites an American worldview inventory survey conducted by the Barner Group, consisting of 2,000 U.S. adults from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, in which 54% of the survey's participants embrace the postmodern idea that all truth is subjective and there are no moral absolutes. 54% of the survey's participants from Arizona Christian University. An excerpt from that article reads as follows. I'm quoting here. The survey, which sampled 1,000 people by telephone and 1,000 people through online questionnaires, found that 88% of respondents say they fashion a unique philosophy of life from the personally appealing parts of multiple worldviews. Did you hear that? The personally appealing parts of multiple worldviews. Mr. Barna, who founded the evangelical Christian polling firm, the Barna Group, in 1984, said this makes syncretism the most dominant worldview guiding the decisions of Americans today. 
Barna said, if there is no absolute moral truth when the government is telling me this is the right thing to do, I'm going to automatically question it because a bunch of yahoos in Washington put it together. Because everything is based on my needs and my feelings. I may choose to ignore the law and feel no remorse about that because I have to take care of myself, he said. The article continues by saying this, the next most dominant worldviews in the survey were biblical theism and moralistic therapeutic deism. With postmodernism and secular humanism after that as the life philosophies that Americans most often rely upon in making choices in life. Folks, we are in trouble. The personally appealing parts of multiple worldviews. That's not a worldview. If you're picking and choosing from multiple worldviews, you have no worldview. I want you to hang on to that. That's what you're facing in the culture today. Biblical theism, moralistic therapeutic deism, postmodernism, and secular humanism. Now that survey is but one example that you and I are living in a world in which truth, to the surprise I'm sure of no one in this room, is becoming an increasingly relativistic proposition, one that is built upon the shifting sands of whatever an individual's felt needs happen to be. That reality is fortified by Dr. Neil Burton in an August 2018 article for Psychology Today titled, What is Truth? Subtitled, An Overview of the philosophy of truth in which Dr. Burton writes this, quote, for some thinkers, something can only be true or false if it is open to verification, at least in theory, if not also in practice. The truth of something lies at the end of our inquiry into that thing. But as our inquiry can have no end, the truth of something can never be more than our best opinion of that thing. If best opinion is all that we have to hope for, then best opinion is as good as truth, and truth is a redundant concept, unquote. So do you see what he's saying here? If everyone, if everyone could just go around and say, well, my best, my opinion is true to me, it's redundant. You don't, get any, you don't get to truth. It's the hamster on the treadmill. You don't get there. All you, you just keep running into opinion after opinion after opinion because truth is subjective. It's my best opinion about that thing. You see, what Dr. Burton is saying here, unfortunately, is a sad testament to the fact that truth is increasingly being rejected today even among professing Christians. The Apostle John declares in 1 John 2.21, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Now, the word lie in 1 John 2.21 is the Greek noun pseudos, P-S-E-U-D-O-S, P-S-E-U-D-O-S, pseudos, which in a narrow context refers to conscious and intentional falsehood. 
But in a broader context, that word pseudos refers to whatever is not what it appears or seems to be. A lie, biblically speaking then, in the context of this Greek word pseudos, is whatever is said to not be reality. Or simply put, what is, whatever is said to not be objectively real. Now, there was a time when the meaning of words like real and reality were universally understood and as such had no need for further elucidation or elaboration. But that's not the case today. And what do I mean by objective reality? Well, by objective reality, I mean as God, reality as God defines it. As the late Dr. R.C. Sproul writes in his book, Truths We Confess, a systematic exposition of the Westminster Confession of Faith, quote, Christianity affirms that we have a revealed religion. We learn things from God that we could never learn through pure human speculation, rational deduction, or sense perception. Listen to this statement by Sproul. What we call revelation does not eliminate the mind or the senses. We are thinking beings, Sproul says, encapsulated in human bodies. God gives revelation through his spokesman that is not available from any other source. Once we know with our minds and with our senses that God is there, and once we become convinced that this is his word, then we come in touch with a source of truth that transcends anything that we can have in this world, unquote. So reality, and another word for reality is truth, must be defined and understood in accordance with what God has revealed to us in his word. Now, to again quote Dr. R.C. Sproul from a teaching series he did some years ago for Ligonier Ministries titled, Truth Corresponds to Reality, quote, Truth is not preference. Truth is not preference. Truth is not a subjective inclination in an individual's heart. So no, you can't just walk around giving me your opinion of this thing or that thing and then declaring that that's truth. Sproul says, truth is not a subjective inclination in an individual's heart, but truth is that which is real, real apart from me, Sproul says. In other words, truth is never, ever subjective. Rather, it is always objective. It is outside of you. It is outside of what you think, what you feel. That said, there are any number of lies that are being embraced today by the world. They're the lies of critical race theory that promote ethnic division and classism. There's the pantheism of, climate, of the climate change movement, which is fundamentally rooted in worship of the creation as opposed to the creator. There are also the lies of the social justice movement, which by means of such divisive concepts of, of, as DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and ESG, uh, environmental social governance, promote cultural Marxism under the guise of equity. But I want you to recall to mind the definition of the word lie, pseudos, 
that I gave earlier and consider that definition against the backdrop of what I personally would argue is the most egregious, the most sinister, the most demonic and destructive lie confronting not only the culture today, but also the church, namely the lie of transgenderism or gender fluidity, which is the conscious and intentional falsehood that a male can somehow transition or morph into a female and likewise a female into a male simply by virtue of altering the kind of attire or cosmetics someone chooses to wear or adorn themselves with, or worse, by taking puberty blockers or undergoing some form of radical surgical procedure that alters their bodies anatomically and in many cases irreversibly. That, in my opinion, transgenderism, this whole idea of gender fluidity is the most heinous lie facing the culture today. Now, among the early advocates of the concept of gender identity was a psychiatrist by the name of Dr. Robert J. Stoller, S-T-O-L-L-E-R. Dr. Stoller, who died in a car crash in 1991 at the age of 66, was considered among the leading pioneers in the areas of human sexuality and gender studies in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. In 1985, Dr. Stoller published a book titled Presentations of Gender, in which he said that gender identity, quote, refers to the mix of masculinity and femininity in an individual, implying that both masculinity and femininity are found in everyone, but in different forms and to differing degrees. It is not the same as maleness and femaleness, which connote biology. Gender identity implies psychologically motivated behavior. Though masculinity fits well within maleness and femininity goes with femaleness, sex and gender are not necessarily directly related. Many biologically intact men have to avoid what they feel are feminine impulses and behavior. The converse is true for women. There can even be rather complete gender, there can even be rather complete gender reversal, as in the case of biologically normal males or females who live as members of the opposite sex. But these designations do not serve us well unless we are also clear what is meant by masculinity and femininity. Masculinity and fem listen to this. Masculinity and femininity are, femininity are defined here in gender identity as any quality that is felt by its possessor to be masculine or feminine. Felt needs again. Felt needs are redefining what truth is. What you just heard there was a dialectical argument trying to convince you that there is no such thing as objective maleness or femaleness. It's whatever you feel you are. This is how he defines the term gender identity. That's the way you, that's, I, I, I often in my travels, 
I speak about how as Christians, it is our responsibility to exegete the culture. And what I mean by that is that you need to take the, the words, the vernacular, the terminology that the culture uses and define that. Define what they mean. When you hear the term gender identity, well, what do you mean by gender? What do you mean by identity? And what you're going to find is that they can't define it. They can't define it. So we as Christians, as, and I, I, I am often saying that every Christian is an apologist. What we need to do is to learn to respond to the culture's questions, the culture's statements, rather, with questions. Put them on the defensive. Ask them, what, what do you mean by this? And what you're going to find is that they have no idea what they mean by what they say. They're just regurgitating the cultural terms with no meaning whatsoever. But here you have another example where gender is whatever you feel you are. So far from being an innocuous matter of being your authentic self, which is what the gender identityists will argue, but we're all about you just being your authentic self. You were born in the wrong body. We want to make room for you to be your, who you truly are. But far from being an innocuous matter of being your authentic self, as many transgender evangelists claim, gender identity as a worldview, and it's, it is a worldview. This is a worldview we're talking about. Gender identity is a nonsensical, irrational, psychological construct that is rooted not in objective biological science, but in the subjectivity of confused feelings and emotions that are being experienced by some of the most naive and vulnerable among us. This is why the LGBTQ agenda right now is so aggressive in going after your children, because their minds can still be molded. They don't know the difference. They don't know how to argue against this. And public schools are now bastions, they're incubators of this sort of indoctrination. Dr. Ryan T. Anderson, president of the Ethics and Public Policy Foundation, exposes the, exposes the insanity, the inanity of the transgender slash gender identity ideology in a February 2018 article that he wrote for the Heritage Foundation. And in that article, Dr. Anderson said this quote. This is a rather lengthy quote, but I need you to hang in there with me because I'm making a point here. Dr. Anderson said this in that Heritage Foundation article, quote, while activists claim that the possibilities for gender identity are rather expansive, man, woman, both, neither, they also insist that gender identity is innate or established at a very young age and thereafter is mutable, is immutable rather. Many of those who feel distress over their bodily sex know that they aren't really the opposite sex and do not wish to transition. Let me stop there. See, they know this. They know in inherently that, like I do here, standing here, I'm a male. I know this. But here they are acknowledging at the same time that they may feel distressed. There's the feelings coming again. And because you may feel that you're in the wrong body, then you must assume you are in the wrong body, despite the biological evidence to the contrary. They wish to receive help in coming to identify with and accept their bodily self. They don't think their feelings of gender dysphoria define reality. They don't feel. You see how this word feel and feelings keeps coming up? It just keeps coming up. They don't feel their feelings of 
They don't think their feelings of gender dysphoria define reality. But transgender activists do, regardless of whether they identify as, quote, cisgender, unquote, or transgender, the activists promote a highly subjective and incoherent worldview. This is what I was saying a second ago. They don't even know what they mean by what they're saying. They don't know. They have no idea. On the one hand, I'm still quoting the article from Heritage. On the one hand, they claim that the real self is something other than the physical body in a new form of Gnostic dualism. Yet at the same time, they embrace a materialist philosophy in which only the material world exists. They say that gender is purely a social construct while asserting that a person can be trapped, quote unquote, in the wrong gender. There's that dualism here. So they're arguing two poles, two opposite poles to make their case. They're contradicting themselves. This is why the more you listen to these people, you know, you, the more you realize they make absolutely no sense. They don't even know what they believe. They say that gender is purely a social construct while asserting that a person can be trapped in the wrong gender. They say there are no meaningful differences between man and woman, yet they rely on rigid sex stereotypes to argue that gender identity is real while human embodiment is not. They claim that truth is whatever a person says it is, yet they believe there's a real self to be discovered inside that person. They promote a radical expressive individualism in which people are free to do whatever they want and define the truth however they wish, yet they try ruthlessly to enforce acceptance of transgender ideology. Do you see that? I counted maybe six contradictions in that one statement of the gender identity worldview. They, they totally contradict themselves. Now, speaking of trying to ruthlessly enforce acceptance of transgender ideology, in a tweet dated July 14, 2023, the organization United Nations Women made the following declaration saying this, quote, we must dismantle stereotypes about gender identity, gender expression, and gender roles that are underpinned by patriarchal social norms. On International Non-Binary People's Day, let's take time to reflect and learn hashtag non-binary day. Appended to that tweet was a graphic that defined gender identity as follows. Listen to this definition. This is still the United Nations Women. What I previously read was a tweet. They appended this to that tweet. Quote, gender identity is defined as each person's deeply felt internal and individual experience of gender, which may or may not correspond to the sex they were assigned at birth or the gender attributed to them by society, unquote. I mean, this is unbelievably in its irrationality that these Various definitions of gender identity seem to sort of revolve around one commonality, and that is whatever you feel, you are. By the way, that tweet is a prime example of queer Marxism. 
everything I just read to you was queer Marxism. When you hear somebody talking about dismantling, that's a Marxist term. Patriarchal social norms, Marxism. This is all Marxism. But that notwithstanding, you see, what would be your response to that tweet by United Nations Women? See, this brings us back to John 1838. What is truth? What would be your, how would you defend the Christian view of sex and gender against what the United Nations Women just said? Could you argue against that? You should be able to. You should be able to. They're talking to you. This tweet wasn't targeted at the choir. They're talking to you. They're trying to convince you that gender identity is each person's deeply felt internal and individual experience of gender. You see, the transgender movement is an iniquitous microcosm of what the world looks like when it divorces itself from the truth of God. It is congenital to our nature as sinful human beings to want to be as far away from God as we possibly can and from his truth. As the 19th century Presbyterian theologian W.G.T. Shedd said, quote, it is far easier for the intensely spiritual man to cultivate himself into a due regard for the outward and apparent than it is for the intensely earthly man to school himself into a spiritual way of thought. Indeed, it may be said of these two courses of cultivation that the former alone is really feasible. Man can come down from heaven to earth, but he cannot go up from earth to heaven. He can fall, but he cannot rise. Unquote. Says that man can fall, but he cannot rise. He can come down from heaven to earth, but he cannot go up from earth to heaven in and of himself. All lies. And what I'm speaking to you today about is living, in, living by truth in a world of lies. All lies, regardless of what a lie specifically posits or proffers, begins with the rejection of the truth of God. Every single lie is a rejection of God's truth. I don't care what the lie uh, posits or proffers. It, is a rejection of, it begins with the rejection of the truth of God. And in the, same way, in the same way that all truth leads us to God, all lies leads us away from, lead us away from God. The world by nature wants nothing to do with God or conversely, with his truth. They want nothing to do with it. That is why the, the world is trying to deconstruct and redefine the most basic components of human existence. There is no male-female distinction. There is no uh, uh, distinction in, in, in identity, even biologically. We're all one now. We're all one. We're all, we're all the same. You see, the fundamental reason the world loves lies is that it hates God. It hates God. It hates God because God is the one who defines what truth is. And this is all a rebellion against that. Gender, gender identity is fundamentally theological. It is not sociological. It's theological because gender, gender identity is a denial of God and of his truth. I don't care whether you're talking political, sociological, anthropological. It is all theological. It all begins with Genesis 
Proverbs 26, 28 says, a lying tongue hates those it crushes. The Hebrew verb crushes in Proverbs 26, 28 means to oppress. The lies of the world are designed to not only to deceive, but to destroy. The lies of the world are oppressive to families, to marriages, to churches, to cultures, to societies, and to entire nations. History is replete with examples of this. The Nazis murdered tens of millions of people on the basis of a lie about ethnic supremacy. The lie of Darwinian evolution, which gave birth to scientific racism, was a material factor in the advancement of slavery in America, which led to a bloody civil war over that issue in which tens of thousands of people died. There is no little white lie. These are ideologies, these are worldviews that you as a Christian, you need to be prepared to fight against intelligently. As I go around speaking to audiences like you, I like to describe my own approach to apologetics like this. I, I like to say I have a godfather view of, of, of apologetics. What I mean by that, any of you have seen the Godfather trilogies, <clears throat> will recall the, the trilogy of movies, the Godfather in part, in Godfather part two, a young Michael Corleone has taken over the family business after the death of his father. And he tells one of his associates, he says, one thing my father always taught me was to keep my friends close, but my enemies closer. So what I mean when I say I have a, a godfather approach to apologetics is that I read my enemies. I study what my enemies believe. I study what my enemies write. I read their books. I watch their videos. I watch their seminars. That is how you become a better apologist, is that you study your enemies, and then you can argue intelligently about what your enemies believe using their own words. Any of you are familiar with the work that I do along with Virgil Walker on the Just Thinking podcast, you know we don't get behind the microphone and give you three hours of our opinions. We study these people. We research them. I can quote you James Cone and, and John Calvin. You have to read your enemies. This is what I'm taking you through here. I'm quoting these people from, the, in the, from their own mouth. So you can see how nonsensical and what they will do because the ideologies originate in higher levels of academia. They will try to throw multisyllabic words at you so as to throw you off. It's like the Matrix. You just, you just can't handle them all because they just keep coming at you. But when you deconstruct them, like we've done here this morning, I've given you three different definitions from their own mouths of what gender identity is, and it makes no sense. It was the Greek philosopher Plato who said, quote, truth is the beginning of every good thing. And he who would be blessed and happy should be from the first a partaker of the truth, that he may live a true man as long as possible, for then he can be trusted. But he is not to be trusted who loves voluntary falsehood. And he who loves involuntary falsehood is a fool. Unquote. If IOPT is truly convicted, that Christ is above all, 
then let the IOPT remain resolute in standing for truth against the lies of the world. I say that not only for the sake of society, but more importantly for the sake of eternity, because souls are at stake. Eternity is at stake here. This is why you must fight against these lies. Eternity is at stake. And let me close with this charge to you all from Francis Schaeffer, who said this, quote, We cannot wait for others to draw the line. We must draw that line. It would not be easy, and for many it may be costly. It certainly will not be popular. But if we truly believe in the infinite personal God, the God of holiness and love, if we truly love the Lord and love his word, and love his church, we have no other choice, unquote. Thank you all very much.